What a wonderful looking crowd here this morning. Pretty hopeful looking bunch. Does anybody have any hope in the house? Hope of a better year that Leslie was talking about, that Betty's walking around encouraging uh, folks in the room and appreciate Sister Betty and uh, her positive influence. Amen. Sister Rose needs her. How many else needs Betty in your life? Amen. Nana, as she's known amongst all of her grandkids, uh, she'll line you out when you need it. She'll pat you on the back as you're walking away sorrowful, and then she'll be there in 10 minutes later with some kind of gift to make you feel better. That's the nanny and Sister Betty, and we appreciate her so much. And one of the founding uh, members of the church here, and, and Betty and Mom and, and Gartha was the three that uh, originally got together and started a Bible study that allowed uh, future come into existence, and uh, I appreciate the three of them so much. Um, Pastor Wells always mentions it when he comes down here that uh, they had plans and they'd came and looked at this building and the assemblies was looking to put a church in Lewis County and they thought they had the right guy for the job and lo and behold some things happened and unfortunate circumstances that uh, they didn't see coming because they only knew in part and next thing you know they wasn't able to pull it off but God still had a plan and it was just a short time later about a year later uh, three ladies started a Bible study in a house and they come looking in the community for a building to start a church to plant a church and they looked at the same exact building that they had come down and looked at a couple years prior to that, and this is that building. So you're sitting in a place that was once a vision, that was once a dream, that was once a thing that God had planted in the hearts of people in the community, and we're thankful to be sitting here today. Are you thankful? Are you blessed and highly favored? Won't you look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> I'm sitting in a comfortable seat. <laughs> I'm sitting in an air-conditioned and heated space. Amen. There's people around the world today would trade you in an instant. The ones that's hiding in the churches in foreign countries that cannot worship God in the open called the underground churches around the world they would trade you in a second to be able to drive in a car freely go wherever you wish pull into whatever driveway you want to pull in and walk in with hands raised hearts wide open singing praises to God they'd give anything to trade you places don't ever take it for granted the freedoms that we have here today I'm thankful for them ain't you so uh, do you have the in part thing? Is it in that or no? Uh, it's on Facebook, so it's not in there. But okay. So I want to preach a message today for our going into a new year, entitled "In Part." In part, 
So let's look at 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, whether it's on your phone, in your lap, it's a book form, it's a Gideon Bible that somebody gave you when you was third grade or whatever it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So as you turn there, I want you to think about that this is a very, uh, very, in my opinion, important text in the Bible. Um, most will know it as the, the chapter called the love chapter in the Bible. So this is a place that we hear read at weddings and, and places where love is experienced and promoted and thought about. So this is the love chapter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 9. I'm still turning because I've got a study Bible and it's got a lot of other things listed. Beginning at verse 9, so that's towards the end of that chapter. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9. For we know in part, everybody say in part. And we prophesy in part, everybody say in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part, everybody say in part, will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Look at your neighbor and say you're still kindly childish. It's time to grow up, amen? Put your big boy pants on and get on with it. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, everybody say in part, but then I shall know just as I'm also known. And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this year that you've given us and all the things that you have oversaw, that you've witnessed come to pass, that you've allowed us to experience. God, we're just grateful for life itself, for the air to breathe, that you've covered us, that you've closed us, that you've given us homes to live in, that you've fed us, you've supplied our basic needs, and you've even went above and beyond in our lives. And we're grateful for that. And God, we've all got plans, and we've all got visions, and we all have got dreams. But God, sometimes those things are there only in part. We've only got little glimmers and little glimpses of those things. So I'm asking you to provide for us a clear understanding that you would give us understanding and wisdom to carry out your will on this earth next year. That every person here, 
even though knowing only in part, would be willing to tackle big things. That you would lead us towards those dreams that you've given us and give us strength and encouragement to move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. The older I get, it seems like there's still so much more that I don't know. Anybody with me? I study because the Bible tells me to. Study to show yourself approved unto God. How many wants to be approved by God? You better be doing some studying. So you've got to study to be approved by God. So I try to do that. But the more I study, it seems like the less I know. Amen? Amen? Because whenever I look at a topic or an issue or something about a sermon or whatever, I, I figure out pretty quickly, wow, I thought I knew something about that until I started digging. Amen? So no matter how many layers of the onion there is, there's still more. So no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how long you've attended church, no matter how many times you've sat in a pew, there's still more. So in saying that, I, I want you to know that when I'm saying in part, I still feel like I only know in part the whole story. I try, I strive, I do everything I know to do, but I still only know in part. I have friends in my workplace that are experts at economic development. I have friends in, work in my workplace that are experts at workforce development. I have friends here in the community in which I live that are community development experts. I have friends in certain civic clubs that I'm a part of that are experts at volunteering. They know how to get things done in a hurry. And it seems like it's effortless for them because they're so good at volunteering. I have friends that I can call on that are biblical uh, experts. They're theologians. They are people that's been at this a long time. But I can honestly say that none of them that I'm speaking of are know-it-alls. The people I respect the most that are experts in areas are not know-it-alls. Anybody know any know-it-alls? <laughs> Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Because if the person you're speaking to has all the answers for everything that's going on, I'd seriously doubt it. Amen? We need to be very careful in whom we trust our lives with their opinions. Amen. If you guys won't, she will. Elsie is in the house. She's not an old all. I assure you that. She's inquisitive. She's always learning. 
we're digging through a book right now, listening to a sermon, amen, at the same time, she's a multitasker. Hard to tell them what her future holds. But I have encountered know-it-alls in my life, and I just want to tell you right now, they don't impress me much. So, as I'm saying that, in part, I'm in part saying that to lead us on a quest here to get to an ending of a sermon, because I'm only allotted so much time to give you information on a weekly basis, and I feel like a lot of times the studying I've done, or the thoughts I've had, or the things I want to say, and I've got written down, I can only do in part. And sometimes I feel like I've got a full course and dessert and everything else to go with it, and I don't get through the appetizer. In some of the sermon series that we preached here, I feel the same way that it feels like it's just there would be no end if we would keep digging in those things, that it's just in part. But being an expert don't mean doesn't mean you have to be a know-it-all. You can be a professional at something. And really dig in and go deep and do a lot of good. And not worry about the area over here that somebody else is going to handle. And the church is made up of individuals and people sitting here today that we've all got specific roles that God has given us. Giftings, personalities, opportunities to do good. The whole purpose of the church it says that Jesus, when he was on this earth, you know what he did? It said he went about doing good. So if you wonder, what should I be doing, or what could I be doing, or what's my gifting, or what's my calling, and I'm worried about it, and I've been sitting on the pew for five years, and I still haven't done anything, go do some good. You're not going to hurt anything if you're doing good. Amen? Get out there. Get in the grind. Go to youth live with the youth group down to the apartments. Do, do something. Jesus is asking us to do something. Even if we only know in part what I'm supposed to do. Well, I've done one of those gifting tests, and I went through a study on, online, and there was somebody that gave me a gifting test, and I looked at it, and it said, I'm good at this. whoop de do. Amen? Take all the tests you want. It's good. I'm not telling you not to do that. Do it. But when it says you're good at it, go try it. And if you fail 15 times in a row and 30 more times in the future, you can see yourself failing at that, then do a second guess. Amen? Go back to the well and say, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll try something else. Do good. If we've done more harm than we've done good, are we doing the right thing? But when we do things in part, we do it blindly. We do it without a full vision and a reality picture that we can see exactly what we're supposed to do. But as we go into that somewhat blindly, somewhat without an entire picture, the Bible says that is walking by faith. And it says the just shall walk by faith. But it also says if the blind lead the blind, what's next? They both fall in a ditch. <laughs> if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in a ditch. 
So even though we cannot see 100% of what we're supposed to do, if we've got 1%, that's enough to set us on our journey to start taking steps towards that reality. So in 2024, I want us to think about that, that I don't have to know the whole picture. God doesn't have to give me this big illustrious thing at midnight tonight where the heavens open and I get this big clear vision and reality and, and it gives me the whole picture of everything I need to accomplish in 2024. Maybe he's going to give me one little glimmer, one little hope, one little thing that rises up in my heart and says, I'm going to try to do that this year. Start taking steps. It may look like it's only in part, but I promise you, in part is enough. Amen? In part is enough. So, as we're thinking about this, I want you to think about the author of this love chapter, and, and Corinthians is not a love book, I promise you that. Go back and start at chapter 1 and start reading through. You're going to see pretty quickly that Paul's calling some people out, some guy living with his mother, uh, stepmother. Dad had died, and he just moved in with mom. Kind of weird. Paul said those things ought not be so. He called him out in the book. It's in the Bible. Amen. So he, he, he knew some things. He was saying that, that that's not, can't be God, right? So he's telling him that. But as this was happening, Apostle Paul is writing this book, but he comes into this chapter 13, he starts writing everything down about love, charity. It's not puffed up. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not all these things. He tells what it's not. Then he tells what it is. And this is the Apostle Paul, who was formerly Saul, who had persecuted the church. He had killed Christians. He had a warrant for the rest of Christians in an entire city, Rose. And he was traveling on the back of a horse, and he was with that warrant, and he was fixing to go arrest some people to have them killed because they believed in Christ. Persecuted the church. Not the point where he called them names. I'm talking about people died for believing in Jesus. So this is not a person that is one that thinks, well, I only know so much. He was a know-it-all. Saul was a know-it-all. And he was heading on that road to Damascus. You can read about it in the book of Acts. But as he's traveling along this road, and he's going up through there, and he's got all this entourage with him, and I'm sure him on the horse, he's thinking, man, I've got it made. I've done all this stuff. I've learned it to feed a gambler. I've, I've got it all. I've got my degrees. I've got everything I need. I've made positions that I need to have. And I'm going with this authority from the emperor that I'm going to arrest people because they believe different than me. I know it all. Ain't none of us knows very much. I assure you right now, none of us knows very much. When it comes in to alignment with God's word, I assure you our opinions don't align with this book 100%. Paul was doing what he thought was right because his religion told him you can kill people because they don't believe like you. That's not very welcoming. It's never very open-minded. But on that road to Damascus, him coming up to that ridge line, and I can imagine just the joy in his heart getting to know, I'm fixing to kill some people because they don't like me, and I don't like them. 
the sand blowing in his face, the wind come blowing, and out of the sky appears a bright light. I saw the light. I've been baptized. <laughs> Amen. He saw the light. And as he saw that light, he began to look, and it burnt his eyes. He was blinded in an instant. The know-it-all become a know-nothing. Because he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, it is I, I am Jesus. Saul, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you, why are you struggling so hard to prove your way is the right way when I am the way, the truth, and the life? And in his blindness, this astute person with all the degrees, with all the authority, with all the warrants still in his hand, he's crawling around on the ground, and the people around him, they, they become concerned, and they took him up, and they went ahead and took him to Damascus. He still had the warrant, I promise you, he still had the warrant. But he was blinded in physical body. He winds up in the town that he's threatening to persecute, and he gets there, Starts praying to his God. No answers. No answers. Next thing you know, this Jesus that had appeared to him called for Ananias. Ananias come and prayed for him. The scales fell off of his eyes. He could see clearly. A miracle. Everybody say, God can provide. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, amen? The God of heaven is still with us. He's still providing for us. But here he is, this, this guy, this man named Saul, and he said, you'll no longer be called Saul, but you'll be called Paul. God changed his name. Some of us need to change our name because we can't outrun our past, amen? <laughs> if you can't outrun it, just call yourself something different. That's, that's a godly thing. It's a biblical thing. Just, just go ahead and change your name. It'll be all right. But he goes into this tear where he used to tear down the church now he goes all over on these missionary journeys for years and he starts building churches god can take a tear downer and make a builder out of them all it takes is one bright light all it takes is one thing and i assure you that when paul saw that bright light he didn't have a download like a zip drive and God implanted everything in his heart, soul, mind, and strength and all that. It didn't automatically come in all at once. That was a partial deposit. But Paul goes on and does great things. Does a lot of things. The next thing you know, his big mouth got in the way and he said, I appear, I appeal to Caesar. I must needs go to Rome. This is biblical talk, Paul. I appealed to Caesar. He's in court, and he appealed, like for us today, it would be like us appealing to the Supreme Court. And you going to go up there and represent yourself? Clown. <laughs> Better hire you a good lawyer if you're in that much trouble. Paul does, though, and he goes to Rome. When he gets to Rome, what's the emperor do? Throws him in prison. And he feels like that's persecution. He got thrown in prison because he believed in Jesus. Feels like prison, that, don't it? That feels like somewhat, I, I don't know, I don't understand. Seems like I'm being persecuted. But what if God's got a purpose? What if God's got a reason? What if you only know in part what he's doing with you? 
You may have thought you appealed to Rome. What if he sent you? And what if hard stuff comes? What if hard times come? What if heartache comes? Are you still going to stick with it? And I can assure you for several years, him sitting in a prison cell, it wasn't easy in Rome. They hated Christians. And he was the, the founder of churches all across the land. So he wrote these books while he was in the prison. He started writing books back to churches, letters. He would write out and send these letters out with some of the Christians that he was with. And he'd write and send these out. Let's name through them. Romans, the book of Romans. Have you ever read that? Several chapters, a lot of information. First and Second Corinthians, we just, we just read. That was a, a letter that he wrote back to the church at Corinth that he had planted as a church earlier. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Most likely he wrote Hebrews. I believe he wrote Hebrews. I can't say that with the definitive. I only know in part what I've read and studied, and, but I think he did. It's a whole lot of writing. It's a whole lot of information. It's a whole lot of theology that we would not have had if Paul continued building churches because he thought that's what God needed him to do. When God said, no, I need you to go be in a prison cell and write some letters because they're going to last for thousands of years and people's going to need some hope in their future. Amen. If this caliber of a godly man says in part in these verses, we have no option but saying we ourselves only know in part. If the Apostle Paul that wrote all these books, that knew all this stuff, that had all this information, that more than likely seen a lot of people that seen Jesus in the physical body, highly likely that he did himself. When Jesus was there at 12 years old, and you remember him sitting at the feet of them wise people, Paul was there at the same time. Highly likely they would have known each other. Jesus. He's saying he only knows in part. We need to conclude. I assure you, I only know in part. But it didn't stop him from doing something. See, a lot of us don't take chances or don't take risks or don't take opportunities because we only know in part. That's not the God we serve. God is not a do-nothing are you with me? He's a do something. He does good. He goes about and he does good. He heals the blind. He raises the dead. The deaf hear. The eye blind see. When Jesus is on earth, he's doing good. And he said, it's better off that I go away so that you can go out and do these things that I did and even greater things. But you only got to know in part to do something. There's nothing wrong with not knowing the entire future before stepping into what you do know, like I just said. And let us look at Jesus' approach to this, to this thought that in part, you don't have to know it all, you have to know something, a little bit, a tidbit, a grain of mustard. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6 real quick. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Look at your neighbor and say, Amen. I mean, so be it. I believe that. Stop worrying about your life. 
what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. It is not more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap this, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Let's just stop right there, and I know I've got a long way to go in 10 minutes, but are you not much more valuable than they? This is Jesus asking that question. If you gave more to PETA last year because of the little wimpery-eyed dog on the TV screen than you did to the missions for Jesus' name to be preached around the earth, come on, somebody. Misplaced priority is what Paul Brandon called it a while back. He said if you pay more for your cell phone bill than you do for spreading the gospel, you've got a lack of understanding of what information needs to be shared. So be it. You're more valuable than a dog. I, I'm saying that because I said it two or three times that way Leslie would hear it, and that way, you know, the, the dogs would start taking second place to me, but it seems like it's the other way around always. Maybe, maybe it'll come to pass because it's the Bible now. It's Jesus saying it, right? So, Okay, you read the Bible. Okay. You, you only know it in part, sister. Do we really want to get on that right now? <laughs> Not right now. Not right now. we got ten minutes. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Um <laughs> can one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life and I'm telling you right now that I saw when they walked into that hospital room and told me and my brother and my sister and my mom your dad's got a half hour left time becomes very valuable And some people can look at that and say, why would they tell you that? They know. They got enough information. They knew where his blood pressure was at, where his, all his levels was at, all that. They'd, they'd done enough poking and prodding. They knew. Got about a half hour left. And the beauty was God allowed me, my brother, my sister, and my mom Amen. to walk in that room, hold his hands and hold his feet and sing songs and worship God. For the very few minutes we had left, even though he was unconscious and couldn't hear, I, maybe he could, I don't know. And to watch his body raise for the last breath, Betty. And that breath go back down. And I looked at mom and dad, or mom and Howie and Ned, and I said, that's it. But the heart was keeping beating, and mom looked, she's like, no, it's beating. And the heart beating caused one more breath to come. And when that breath let out, then the heart quit. Time is short. And time is valuable. But is that time spent in a good way? And all I'm telling you is this. Don't waste any more time. How many is guilty of wasting time? So Jesus is telling them, don't worry. You can't add one more hour to your life. That is a true statement. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the prayers, for the pagans run after these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You don't have to look for it. It'll come find you. Six minutes left and a long way to go. <sighs> the Apostle Paul spoke about mysteries in the Bible. There's a place talking about mysteries in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the same book that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 13, back up a few chapters, 1 Corinthians 4. And he said, so I look at Apollos, and he and me were servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. God put us in charge to explain God's mysteries. Now, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. If he gives you a calling and gives you boldness to do things, you've got to understand you've still got to be faithful to him. You can't be a know-it-all because he's got to give you a mission. All right? As for me, it matters little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. <laughs> he was telling the Christians, I don't care what you think. I ain't going to worry about what you think of me. I'm going to do my job, do it to the best of my ability. I'm not going to worry about it. I don't even trust my own judgment at this point. This guy is writing the book in the Bible, says, I'm not worried about you what you think. I just got to tell you what God's had for, laid upon my heart to say. And it's the same way as me as a preacher today. I just got to say what he tells me to say. And if it hurts your feelings, I don't want to, I don't intend to. I try really hard to not do that out of my own account because I'm an empathetic, I'm a sympathetic person. I can't stand hurting people's feelings or thinking they're mad at me. I don't like it. Paul wasn't that way. But he said, I don't even trust my own judgment at this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. You can say you believe something so much you begin to believe it even though you didn't believe it when you start started saying that because you're saying it trying to, amen? Put check marks in your own minds. Paul said, even just because my conscience is clear, my judgment is clear, I don't even trust my own judgment. And I ain't even right sometimes. Look at your neighbor and say, I might be wrong. You know why you might be wrong? Because you only know in part. Come on, somebody. Is anybody following what I'm saying? If we only know in part, we can make mistakes. But guess what? We serve a God that's well able to forgive us. Amen? Though he fall down seven times, he rises back up one more time. Amen? Don't give up just because you make a mistake. Because you turned your back on God. Don't turn right back around and head back in his direction. He'll meet you just like that prodigal son's father. Come running to meet him. Heavenly Father will always meet you where you're at. Turn around is all we've got to do. In part is all I know. Good enough. He only gave you a part because it's all you could handle. Paul says later, I can't give you the meat of the word because you're still sucking around on milk. I'm a participant, it seems like. 
I'm just trying to arm you with an understanding that if things in 2024 don't go according to your plans, just know you're in good company. Everybody else you come in contact with, sit around, talk to, in your workplace, wherever you're at, you're in good company because their plans didn't come to pass either. We're on a journey called life. And life is full of obstacles. I get it. Don't you? But that doesn't mean God isn't there because it didn't go your way. You only knew in part and you tried and you messed up. Guess what? God's still there saying, I'm with you. Go on. Be, be faithful. Continue to follow my word. Dream bigger. He's prodding us on as a church saying, don't doubt what I can do. Now, I've got two minutes left. I was supposed to read the whole book of Habakkuk, which is in the Old Testament. It's three chapters. I'm sorry. You're not getting it. You have to read it on your own. I love the book of Habakkuk, though. It's a good story. So I'm going to put it to you in a two-minute version, Chuck. Is that okay? So let's pretend we're in olden times, in the Old Testament, 700 B.C. You with me? Let's go back and light some candles and play music. You know, like the movies do. That's the way it is. We're Habakkuk. Habakkuk. That's who we are. And our neighbor is at war with us. And let's pretend we're Americans, but we're Habakkuk today, okay? Okay, so let's pretend we're Americans. How many likes? I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Let's pretend we're that, but it's really Israel. Okay. And all of a sudden, our enemy begins to gain power and take over foreign lands, and we hear about it. And we're scared to help them because it might cause us some trouble. Sound familiar? So let's pretend that Russia overtakes Ukraine. With me? Follow me? So the next move they make, now that they saw that we're afraid to help Ukraine because we're afraid of them, they say, well, why don't we go attack some of them, parts of them? And let's say they cross that little bridge that's a little piece of water about this big on a map. It's called a land that we bought off of them 75 years ago. It's called Alaska. Anybody ever heard of it? There's Alaska oil, pipeline, gas, all kinds of stuff. And let's say Russia comes over that little bridge, attacks a couple of our marine bases and stuff up there, and they take over and, and they take Alaska. Chuck, are you with me? Russia takes Alaska. What do we do? Ah, that won't really touch us anyway. We bought that off them anyhow, so I guess it's our land anyway. Let's just don't worry about that. Let's just give them Alaska. That's what happened in the fact today. Northern part of Israel, Judah was still there. The northern part was gone because after Solomon, there's two nations. They split apart. Family broke up. The northern part got took away. So now we've lost Alaska. You with me? But they don't stop there. Russians don't stop there, and they go on, and they start taking the different sections of all of Canada. You with me? Right now we're pretty safe because we believe we've got the little speck of water in between a bridge, a water bridge, that protects us from uh, Russia. Next thing you know, now our whole northern border is Russian. Are you afraid yet? I am. That's where Habakkuk was. So he goes to God and he says, God, 
I need you to show me some stuff. I'm a, I'm a prophet. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. Show me some stuff. God said, write it down. Make it plain on tablets. I'm getting ready to tell you something. So now Russia took over Canada. And you ask God to give you a vision of how he's going to take care of you. And he says, here's how it's going to work. Russia is coming for Washington, D.C. And he's going to carry you away. And he's going to take your citizens, your brothers, your neighbors, your aunts, your uncles, your friends. And they're going to carry them back to Russia. And they're all going to move in your houses. That's the vision Habakkuk got. I've been guilty, Travis, of reading Habakkuk 2, I think it's verse 3, that says write the vision, make it plain on tablets, because it will come to pass, and God will do it. If it delays, it's coming, it's still coming. I've always said that to say, write your plans down. You've probably heard me say that here. But I'll announce to you today, as your pastor, I only knew in part. If you don't read the whole story, do a study of the background of it, the history of it, you don't really know what you're talking about. That's me telling you. Habakkuk didn't write down his plans. He wrote down his plans. And sometimes they don't align. And I know we're in a land where we think we're safe. And I'm not predicting nothing and don't take anything out of line or context what I'm telling you about. I'm trying to set a mindset for you to understand we are not in control. And you may think you're in control. I'm telling you today, we are not in control. God is. And will we be found faithful whether his plans aligns with our plans or not? That's the deal. So, I got to go on. That's all Habakkuk you can get. If you need some more, call me later. Or we'll talk about it tonight during the whatever service. Everybody eating, being merry, whatever it's called. <laughs> Apostle Paul knew in part, but he also was in the know. Ask your neighbor, are you in the know? See, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he said, For that which called, for the... Call, for this which I cause also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. I know in whom I've believed. The Apostle Paul knew in part, but some things he knew in whole. I know in whom I believed. I can trust in whom I believed. Okay? So what do you know? Are these... Your for sures. This is my question to us today as we end here. Is, th is these things I'm going to list out, are they your for sures that you know? Do you know God is real? There was a point in my life where I didn't know that, Todd. That I doubted that. Raised in church. Heard a lot of preaching in my life. A lot of good preaching. A lot of good revivals, Mary. A lot of good sermons. And when I was in the church, I could feel it, and I knew when I was in the church that he was real. When I was a kid, I was with Mary. She'd drag me to church, even when I wouldn't go. 
I wouldn't want to go. She'd take me anyway, just like my mom and dad would. But when I got back out in the world, all the voices caused me to wonder, is he real? Mr. James, I'm not too far from you. <laughs> in that my mind never stops. You could say amen there, Jessica. <laughs> but those voices outside would overwhelm the voices that I'd heard in church, Chuck. And I would doubt out there what I would believe in here. But once I crossed that threshold, Derek, once I crossed that threshold and I gave him my life, I don't believe God is real. I know he is. It's a whole other world. If you don't know him today, you don't have to know it all. All you got to know is a part. Take that leap of faith and step in and say, God, I'll trust you with my life. Do you believe heaven is real? I do. I'm going to go there and be with my dad forever. I've watched him pray the prayer of salvation. I baptized him in a hospital bed, and I'm going there to see him forever, and heaven is a real place. I trust that. I believe that. I know that. Salvation is available to all. Do I believe that? I do. If you're here today, nobody is unsavable. If you're breathing air, according to Scripture, according to Peter, the apostle, said it's not God's will that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Salvation is available to all. Do you believe he loves us unconditionally, even when we mess up, even when we falter, even when we fail, even when we get off course? He is our loving Heavenly Father. I believe that. I know that's true. I've experienced it. He's merciful towards us. I don't get what I deserve. Now, are you with me? Do you know these things to be true? Do you know that He alone is our Savior, our Healer, our Deliverer, and our soon-coming King? Now, there's some mysteries that I could list through, too, that I had wrote down. I'm going to do that. And I don't want you to leave this service today misconstruing what I'm saying because that's easily done. How many's ever said something then heard three days later the complete opposite of what you're trying to say? That somebody's went and told somebody and it turned plumb around and you're like, what? No, how did they hear that? I didn't say that. What I'm saying sometimes is not what you're hearing. So I need you to listen very intently right now. You hear me? Everybody say, okay. Everybody say, I love you, Pastor. I'll listen. I don't want you to quote me as saying, don't go into 24, the year 2024, without a plan. I'm not saying that. I don't believe that. I know God's Word teaches better than that. How about that? Jesus clearly said, it is unwise to build a building without counting the cost. <laughs> and you may be wondering, when are we going to build a building? when God allows us to build a building. And we've been gaining money. We, we've been, you guys have been tithing and, and giving offerings and mom's been selling yard sale stuff and Mary's been doing stuff and, and they pay into, the, and others in the room too, you all do it. And I appreciate it. 
but we've got to count the cost. Right? Come talk to you, Chuck. It's scary. It's scary, Betty. But there's a point in time where we take the leap of faith and step off and do what you guys did building this building. That building will be built. Is there anybody in the house that says, I know it will? I know it will. There's a future. I can drive up that road and I can see it. Amen. There is something going to happen up on that hillside. It's going to help people. There's hurting people going to come running because there's a place for them to be there. Not just for church stuff. I'm talking about community. I've said that from the beginning. It will be a community. Jesus said, don't build the building without counting the cost. And we're counting. I promise you, I'm counting. I'm not just counting money. I'm counting you. I'm counting on you. Chris has come to me, I don't know how many times, man, let's get to pouring the footer. I don't even know which way the direction is going to go yet. We can't pour a footer until we get the direction, right? Are you with me? I hope it's 2024. I plan for it to be 2024 when we're started and doing some things there. But let's trust God. His plans are better than mine anyways. Amen? He will make a way where there seems to be no way. Because right now, the things that they tell us about the building costs and this is happening and inflation is happening and there's, there's a million reasons to step back and sit down in fear and do nothing. We've already got the water across the road. We're still working for electricity. We're still doing things. There's things happening behind the scenes right now. I'm just telling you, God's timing is not ours. And that's okay. And I don't care if this summer, if we got to go up there and sit in the field and have a couple of services, we'll do that. Amen? It does not matter anyway because there are people all over the world doing it today. Why can't we? God told Adam and Eve to work after their removal from the garden. They messed up. They lost the good. Had the Garden of Eden. Everything perfect. God pulls them out and says, now you're going to be over here. Don't you just love earth? Isn't this so great and just so splendid? This, I love it. I love being out in the trees and smell, you know, get away from people. and People stink. I don't know if you know that. Get out in the woods a little bit. Take a walk. If you're struggling with some mental health and some stuff, Dusty can tell you this. There is a something to the outdoors and taking a walk and getting away and, and taking a moment and, and, and some introspection happening. There's something to that. Do it. There's nothing wrong with it. I have mental health issues. Can I tell you that? Can I as a pastor tell you that I struggle some weeks when I walk out of here whether to come back next week or not? But Dusty, every week when that happens and I walk out here and I feel defeated and feels like it's falling apart and whatever's going on and next thing you know it'll feel there's something to hit me about Wednesday it'll say it's in part only being you only see little pictures and glimpses. Don't throw in the towel until I tell you to. And Betty, I'm going to do what he says no matter what my mind tells me. Is there anybody in this house that needs to do the same thing? Quit thinking your own thoughts and doing your own things. Depend on him. Jesus clarified a misconception like that in Luke 19. Leslie, I know you're still playing, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I can't quit now. I'm just about done. I'm, I'm, right to the, I'm right to the altar call, I promise you. This is the last thing. And I know preachers say it all the time. Luke 19. Go read it yourself, but I'm just going to tell you. Verse 13 says, Occupy till I come. 
This is what Jesus told his disciples. He said, occupy till I come. I'll give you houses that you did not build, it says in the Old Testament in, in, to Israel. I'll give you fields that you did not plant. Occupy till I come. It means do business till I come. And if Jesus hasn't come back yet, our job is to do something. Do business. Take care of business. And, the, and then they was like, I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. How many's ever had him tell you something? He's like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Then he has, okay, let me draw a picture for you. Cartoon, kind of drawing. I wish I had a big whiteboard here because I'd tear into it right now. Everybody makes fun of my drawing. I'm a pretty good stick man. But Jesus paints this picture with a parable, and he says this, that a guy was going away as a husbandry, and he went away, and, and he left three individuals in charge of the businesses, and he gave each of them equal. He gave them one pound apiece. Okay? Here's you a pound. Here's you a pound. Here's you a pound. He goes away for several years, and they thought it's delayed coming. He, he didn't come back when they thought he'd come back. Some people cons consider Jesus slack concerning his promises, according to scriptures. But I promise you this, he is coming back. And he told them this parable, and he said, I will come back. He didn't tell them when. So he told them to do business till I come back. That's where it's occupied till I come, come from. So he give each of them a pound. And finally he does come back. They were unaware when he was coming. They just continued to do business. All three of them did. He said, I'm coming back. So he'd give this guy one. They said, okay. Let me have that. How much did you get? That you did business. So I'll give you a pound of seed. How many pounds do I have in my hand now? Jesus said that guy handed him 10 pounds. How many would like tenfold investment on your 401k this year? Sound pretty good? That's what he got. He said, thank you. You're a good servant. You did work. You did business till I come. And he goes over here and he goes to this other one. You could be the third one because you're the bad guy. But Okay, hand, hand me that pound back I gave you. Where's that? He hands it back. There was five times. Jesus said, good and faithful servant, thank you for doing business while I was gone. Then he goes to the third one, and he says, okay, now I need that pound back. And that guy hands him one pound back. And says, I hid it in a napkin. I didn't invest it. I didn't work. I didn't do anything. I kept it for you. Thinking it was the right thing to do. I still got the pound you gave me. And Jesus said, it's not what I'm asking you to do. It would have been better for that servant to have said, I tried and I lost it, than to say, I just tried to maintain it for you. He said, you did the wrong thing. And he took it and he gave it to the one with ten and said, here, do it again. He said, you're wicked. I'm not saying Travis is wicked. You're a pretty good dude. It's the story Jesus told, though, to tell them, when he's saying in part and occupy till I come is don't worry about tomorrow. Take no thought for yourself. Do business till I come. And that is it. My motto for 2024 will be I need him more in 24. Dusty said what is was he was talking about words there the other day on Facebook and stuff. 
here's my motto for 2024. I need him more in 24. That's mine. No, don't, if you copy off me, it's plagiarism. And I'm going to charge you. Uh, I've got trademarks on it. I promise you, I've already went through all the work of the legal system. We're good. I need him more in 24. Even if it means I only know in part what he's doing through me, for me, and with me. If I only know in part, it's still enough. Won't you stand? I'd say the children's church people are about ready to kill me. Ten minutes over. If you've ever worked back there, you know what I'm talking about, so go get you some. You don't have to know it all to get started on your salvation journey. There's no better way to start the next year than begin with making Jesus the Lord of your life. And I'm not judging anybody in this room. This is only between you and God. I can't do that for you. But I promise you, my motto is, I need him more in 24. If that is your wish, if you've never known him, if you're sitting here today and you've heard us talk about how much we believe and know that God is real, salvation is real, heaven is real, and you want that for your life, no better day to today and right now than making that decision. And it's as simple as that decision. I can't do it for you. Your husband or your wife can't do it for you. Your grandma can't do it for you. It's on you. So I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Jesus, I thank you for this sermon that we've just presented, titled, In Part. God, this sermon today has planted seeds in our hearts and shown us that we don't know it all. That we just get glimpses, that we just see in a glass darkly. But God, you have given us enough seeds in this sermon today for salvation to become a reality in the hearts of those that believe in this room today and are willing to cross that threshold and say, I'm stepping out of I believe into I know that God is real and I'm going to give Him my life. Nobody looking around. Don't worry about your neighbor. If you're holding their hands, drop it right now. This is a decision between you and God. Every eye closed, every head bowed, nobody looking around. I just want to ask you, if you're in this place today and you don't know Him, but the sermon today has pricked your heart and you're sitting here and you're saying, I want to make heaven my eternity. I want to know Jesus and I need Him more in 2024. I just want you to lift up your hand and say, that's me. I'm willing to cross that threshold today and say, I need Him more. Is that you? Just lift up your hand. That's you. Anybody here that don't know him and you're willing to say, today is my day. I'm going to give him my life. you just lift up your hand anybody here I want to give you room and a chance time is too valuable for me to walk away from this 
like we got to go eat a burger or something. Eternity is in the balance, and you have a decision to make. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised the next breath. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you that is reality. Life is short. Anybody here? Okay. And the beauty of this story is you don't have to make that decision in this room right now. I've heard people testify about riding on a tractor. And just like Paul being approached in that traveling journey, Jesus met him outside of a church. You don't have to get saved in a church. You can leave this building and go home and tell somebody else, I didn't lift my hand today. But I'm telling you this, I'm crossing that threshold and I'm believing and I'm trusting that I know he's my salvation. And you can get saved wherever you're at. And I will make that clear to you wherever you're at. Wherever you're at. He will meet you there. Christians, there's no better way to go into a new year than to pray for God to do these three things for us that, that I want us as a church to do. I want him to teach us how to pray. This is request that his disciples asked him. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He didn't say teach us what to pray. He said teach us how to pray. How many would like to know how to pray? They also said, increase our faith. If you need more faith in him and trust in him, this is a quest that the disciples said, increase our faith. And also one time they asked him to help them, to help others. So that's our three requests that I want to go into this next year as a church that we learn how to pray better, that we have more faith, and that we help others better than we ever have. So if you want a resolution for the bridge, there it is. I want us to be a praying church, a faithful church, and a helping church. Amen. How many will pray with me right now to ask God, help us with these three things? Okay? Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you. For this day, we thank you for the church that you've given us called The Bridge. God, I pray today for all these saints that you have around about us. Some of them are missing today. Some of them have sickness in their families. God, we pray for health for their bodies. But God, today, during this last day of the year, when we go into a new year with resolutions, God, we're asking you to resolve within us. Teach us, as The Bridge, how to pray. God, I'm praying for the people in this room that struggle, that struggle to believe sometimes, that struggle to trust sometimes. God, increase our faith. God, like never before, just as you did those disciples, their faith was increased that day when they said, increase our faith to help our unbelief. And God, I pray so much that you would help the bridge in 2024 to help like we've never helped. That we would be in the community like we've never been in the community. God, that our neighbors would know without a shadow of a doubt when there's a need, there's a place to go for help. Help the bridge have the resources, the people, and all of our possessions to meet those needs. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.